Tech Fighter Worldwide. It's the High Tech Podcast in plain English with an hour's worth of news in about 20 minutes. That's because we leave out the commercials, the station breaks, the sports, and most of the jingles. Podcast number 535 for the 19th of March, 2017. This week, do you use a smartphone to control things in your house? Thermostats, TVs, maybe some light switches? A voice command can turn devices on or off, but they can also create some nasty problems. Video editing once required a large room full of high-priced equipment. Then in 1991, version 1.0 of Adobe Premiere was released to compete with several other existing programs. Desktop video editors changed everything. In short circuits, this week the Guardian newspaper published an article by the guy who invented the World Wide Web. Tim Berners-Lee says the web has fulfilled some of what he hoped it would do, but improvements are needed. If the headline, Smartphones Will Read and Write Better Than 32 Million American Adults in the Next Decade, doesn't frighten or at least concern you, it should. Software like Siri, Alexa, and Cortana are getting better, while American literacy rates remain stagnant. In spare parts, only on the website, the Video Electronics Standards Association, Visa, represents a global network of more than 230 hardware, software, computer, display, and component manufacturers who seem to be making changes faster than we can deal with them. And thousands of people are bitten by snakes every year, even though snakes generally choose to flee rather than fight. A new iOS and Android app might help. being surrounded by smart appliances, but they might be dumb choices. Do you use a smartphone to control things in your house? Thermostats? TVs? Maybe the light switches? Just issuing a voice command can turn on the music, turn off the lights, change from heating to cooling, but they can also create some nasty problems. These things are connected to the internet, or at least a lot of them are, and unfortunately some manufacturers of Internet of Things devices haven't paid much attention to security. You probably heard that your smart TV might be listening to you all the time. In theory, it doesn't send your words anywhere, though. Or we have Cortana, Amazon's Alexa, Google, and Siri listening in. They all tend to be a bit like a lazy high school student at the end of a warm day in the last week of school in the least appealing subject. The teacher says the words, but they aren't being processed unless the student is addressed by name. I have enabled Cortana, but I call on her only when I want things like the temperature or some other innocuous piece of information. But how do I know that Cortana is dozing unless I explicitly call on her? In fact, I don't. And if somebody managed to hijack the service, Cortana could be used to silently search the computer for useful information. And, of course, crooks know that they can take over Internet of Things devices and use them to stage huge denial-of-service attacks like the one that happened late last year. The thing to remember, if you're using one or more of these devices, is that they are all still very new. Cool, yes, but keep an eye on security. 
As more and more people start using interconnected devices, crooks will be more and more interested. A minor security problem now could be devastating once criminals learn how to exploit it. One of the most logical things you could do would be to keep Internet of Things devices off your home network. They may need access to the Internet, but most of them don't need access to your computers. Fortunately, the people who build routers already make many models with what's called a guest network. Just make sure the guest network is enabled, give it a strong password, just like your main network, and connect the Internet of Things devices to it. Signals go through one router to the cable modem, but they are separated. Devices on the guest network don't have access to computers on the main network, and vice versa. When you're in the market for something, check out its security, not just its functionality. Amazon Alexa powers the company's Echo speakers and other devices. Instead of waiting for you to download security patches, the smart speakers are smart enough to check with Amazon's servers occasionally, find out if there are any security updates, download the patches, and install them all automatically in the background. Both Samsung and Vizio have been criticized for making televisions that sent speech back for testing and analysis, Samsung did that, or logged the customer's viewing habits and shared the information with advertisers, Vizio did that. So it pays to read the company's privacy policies, as boring as they are. What information does the device capture, and what does it do with that data? It's one thing if the information stays on the device, something else entirely if it's being sent back to the manufacturer. And let's circle back around to your Wi-Fi router. By default, it will broadcast its SSID, or Service Set Identifier. You might think it's a good idea to make that something you'll easily recognize, like your family name. Now, even though the range is limited, that's really not a very good idea. Use a cryptic SSID or turn it off entirely. The router doesn't need to broadcast its identity for you to connect to it. You know what the SSID is, and you know what the password is, so you don't have to broadcast it. Oh, and speaking of passwords for routers and accounts on routers, just like everything else, longer passwords are better. Amazon and Google Appliances seek out their own security updates, but it's a good idea to check for yourself occasionally, and it's essential if the devices you have don't check for their own updates. Just as we're cautioned to always be aware of our surroundings when we're in an unfamiliar city, keep an eye on your surroundings in the Internet of Things. It can be a very strange and unfamiliar city. Once upon a time, a very long time ago, I feel like I had to start this one as once upon a time, a long time ago. Well, anyway, once upon a time, a very long time ago, video editing required a large room full of high-priced equipment. Then, in December of 1991, version 1.0 of Adobe Premiere was released to compete with Avid's Media Composer that had been released a couple of years earlier. Apple's Final Cut Pro and Edit DV by Radius, 
both of those have been discontinued now, were on the market at that time, these applications changed everything. Initially available only on Macintosh computers, video editing applications now run on Windows PCs, and some functions are even available on smartphones and tablets. Both film and video can be edited using one of two methods, linear and nonlinear. Linear editing is simple and inexpensive. Segments are selected, arranged, and modified in a predetermined sequence. Unlike film, videotape cannot easily be cut and spliced back together to modify scene order, so linear editing was common with videotape. Non-linear editing allows random access to segments. The editor can work on any segment at any time and in any order. Original source files are not damaged by the editing, so multiple variations of the source files can be tested without the need to store multiple copies of the full video. Flexibility and the ability to undo edits are key advantages. Version 1 of Adobe Premiere, it wasn't yet called Pro, had limited capabilities. There were just three possible sizes for videos, 160 by 120, 240 by 180, and 320 by 240. In those days, though, a TV screen had just 525 vertical lines of resolution, and only 483 of those were visible. The rest were in what was called the vertical blanking interval of the signal. So the resolution provided by Premiere was nearly TV quality, and the prospect of editing video was really exciting. Adobe provided a short video, it's less than a minute long, and it manages to show the visual history of Premiere's first 25 years. You'll find it on the TechBiter Worldwide website. It's worth the 40 seconds that it takes to run. Premiere and then Premiere Pro adapted over time as features were added to meet the needs of users. And now, in celebration of Premiere's 25th anniversary, Adobe has launched Make the Cut, a global editing competition in partnership with the music group Imagine Dragons. The competition gives fans access to a wide range of uncut footage from the official music video Believer by the Image Dragons. Using these clips and Premiere Pro, amateurs and professionals can cut together their own version of the video, and the winner receives a $25,000 prize. Adobe will also award bonus prizes of $1,000 each and a year-long Creative Cloud subscription to four special categories, Best Young Creator, the best up-and-coming editor under 25 years old, the best short form, most impressive video that's 30 to 60 seconds long, fan favorite, that would be the one most liked by the fans on the Adobe Creative Cloud YouTube channel, and most unexpected. Adobe describes that one this way, we have no idea what you'll come up with, but knock our socks off. Projects will be judged by members of the band, along with Matt Easton, director and editor of the Believer's Music video, two-time Academy Award winner Angus Wall, who edited films like Fight Club, music video editor Vinnie Hobbs, who's worked with artists like Kendrick Lamar and Britney Spears, and other notable entertainment industry professionals. For more information and to download the raw videos, visit Adobe's website. You'll find a link on the TechBiter Worldwide website. And if you don't already have Premiere Pro, you can also download a 30-day trial version from there for free.
In short circuits, this week, the Guardian newspaper in London published an article by the guy who invented the World Wide Web. Tim Berners-Lee made a proposal for an information management system in March of 1989, and he implemented the first successful communication between a hypertext transfer protocol client and a server via the Internet in November of that year. So, as Tim Berners-Lee wrote, Today marks 28 years since I submitted my original proposal for the World Wide Web. I imagined the web as an open platform that would allow everyone, everywhere, to share information, access opportunities, and collaborate across geographic and cultural boundaries. In many ways, he says, the web has lived up to this vision, though it has been a recurring battle to keep it open. But over the past 12 months, I have become increasingly worried about three new trends, which I believe we must tackle in order for the web to fulfill its true potential as a tool that serves all of humanity. The full article is on The Guardian's website. It is well worth reading, but let me give you a brief summary of it. The first point, we've lost control of our personal data. Many websites offer free content in exchange for your personal data. Number two, it's too easy for misinformation to spread on the web. Most people find news and information on the web through just a handful of social media sites and search engines. These sites make more money when we click on the links, Berners-Lee says. So these sites show us content they think we'll click on. So anything that's surprising, shocking, or designed to appeal to our biases can spread like wildfire. And third, political advertising online needs transparency and understanding. Berners-Lee says the fact that most people get their information from just a few platforms makes it possible for individual advertisements to be targeted directly at users. One source suggests that in the 2016 U.S. election, as many as 50,000 variants of advertisements were being served every single day on Facebook. Targeted advertising allows a campaign to say completely different and possibly conflicting things to different groups. Is that democratic, he asks? Those questions and concerns make sense to me. How about you? Be sure to check it out on The Guardian's website. If the headline, Smartphones Will Read and Write Better Than 32 Million American Adults in the Next Decade, doesn't frighten you, or at least concern you, I think it should. Software like Siri, Alexa, and Cortana are getting better, while American literacy rates remain stagnant. Maybe you've seen the movie Idiocracy. Well, a forecast by the University of Massachusetts at Amherst and Project Literacy says the progress in improving Human literacy rates has stalled since 2000. This leaves 758 million adults worldwide and 32 million Americans as functionally illiterate. 
The report predicts that technological advances will soon enable over 2 billion smartphones to read and write. So, at the current rate of technological progress, devices and machines powered by artificial intelligence and voice recognition software will surpass the literacy level of one in seven American adults within the next 10 years. The report is called 2027 Human versus Machine Literacy. It was released by the Global Campaign Project Literacy and University of Massachusetts Professor Brendan O'Connor. It calls for society to commit to upgrading its people at the same rate as upgrading its technology, so that by 2030, no child is born with a risk of poor literacy. Consider, for example, that machine literacy already exceeds the abilities of 3% of the U.S. population. Today, there are more software developers in the U.S. than school teachers. And while we're focusing on making machines smarter, the report says we are forgetting that 50% of adults cannot read a book written at an 8th grade level and that 32 million American adults cannot currently read a road sign. Yet 10 million self-driving cars are predicted to be on the road by 2020. A little background might be useful here. Pearson, the British-based creator of textbooks and computer-based training materials, is involved. Pearson says its mission is to help people make progress through access to better learning. We believe learning opens up opportunities, creating fulfilling careers and better lives. But the campaign is also backed by more than 90 partners as diverse as UNESCO, Microsoft, World Leader, the Clinton Foundation, Room to Read, Doctors of the World, The Hunger Project, and Pro-Literacy. Now, the presence of the Clinton Foundation probably will make some people think this is a political issue. Regardless of who's involved, though, right or left, literacy seems to be a laudable goal, and it's illogical for this to be considered political. But then we live in divided times. University of Massachusetts professor Brendan O'Connor says that machines may be able to read, but they're not yet able to master the full nuances of human language and intelligence, and that's despite this idea capturing the imagination of popular culture in movies such as her. But, he points out, that advances in technology mean it is likely that machines will achieve literacy abilities exceeding those of one in seven Americans within a decade. Project Literacy's Kate James says the report highlights the gulf between technological and human progression. It's predicted that more than 2 billion smartphones will soon be able to read and write, she says, but 758 million people throughout the world still lack basic literacy skills. This skills gap is being passed on from generation to generation, she says. Project Literacy commissioned the report to draw attention to what can only be seen as the shocking level of progress being made in fighting illiteracy. The report was released in conjunction with the recent South by Southwest conference in Austin. If you'd like to download the full distressing report, you can do that. You'll find it on the Project Literacy website. There's a link from the TechBiter Worldwide website. And while you're on the TechBiter Worldwide website, check out Spare Parts because that's the only place you'll find it. This week, the Video Electronics Standards Association, or VISA, represents a global network of more than 230 hardware, software, computer, display, and component manufacturers who seem to be making changes faster than we can deal with them. 
And thousands of people are bitten by snakes every year, even though snakes generally tend to flee rather than fight. A new iOS and Android app might help. Thanks for listening to TechBiter Worldwide, the podcast with an hour's worth of technology news in about 20 minutes. I'm Bill Blinn. Be sure to check out the website, www.techbiter.com. And if you like, send me an email from there. See you next week.